This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. You know, journalists who cover the ravages of war know of the potential peril to their own lives. When bombs explode feet away, it's, it's a defining moment of what's truly important in the grand scheme of existence itself. It is also a moment where whatever spiritual truths you believe, foundational beliefs or whatever, come directly into focus. And hence the phrase, there are no atheists in foxholes. You know, one of our Fox colleagues, Benjamin Hall, had such a moment on March 14th, 2022, while covering the war in Ukraine. A bomb exploded near the crew car, killing veteran photojournalist Pierre Zakchevsky and Ukrainian producer Alexander Sasha Kushinova. Correspondent uh, Benjamin Hall barely survived, sustaining critical injuries. He lost part of one leg, an eye, a foot, his hands severely mangled. But in those moments when he didn't know whether he would live or die, he heard the voice of an angel. I call this as an angel, but it was his daughter telling him, Daddy, you've got to get out. Benjamin Hall's incredible story of survival and spiritual transformation is detailed in his book, Saved, a war reporter's mission to make it home. And Ben joins me now from his home in London. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. What a pleasure to be with you, Lauren. It really is a pleasure. And, you know, a lot of people have heard about your ordeal um, on various Fox programs and podcasts, I think. But there is a spiritual component to your making it back home. And and that is nothing short of a miracle. I mean, do you think this is a real miracle that you actually got home? I do. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I look at the day itself. I look about where I was sitting in that car, right in the middle seat, the death seat. And uh, the, um, there were two Ukrainians in the car as well. They died as well. I was the only survivor out of five of us. And um, it is incredible that somehow I survived that day, that somehow I was, you know, w- made it out of that car uh, and I'm still here. And it's also amazing that so many things fell into place that helped me evacuate, that helped me recover. And if one of those things, many things hadn't happened, I would have died. I wouldn't have made it out. And I look back at the first first week after this happened and it was just an incredible array uh of things that happened to to save me and you know i i think back to when i was sitting there lying there that day and i and i wonder so many times every single day i think about what it was that saved me was it a miracle how did god come and save me that day and of all the things and i know we'll talk about this, this this hour my understanding of religion of god of faith mm-hmm. has sort of changed so much and i've thought so much about it and i've been religious my whole life but this has really added a whole new dimension the that um that i'm so grateful for too 
Yeah, you grew up Catholic. I mean, you went to Catholic boarding school, Ampleforth. Is that what it's called? Ampleforth uh, boarding school? Yes, Benedictine. Uh, uh, yeah. And you had religious training. And I, I would suppose a lot of it was just, you know, kind of rote training at that point. Uh, you know, explain. I mean, what was it to you, you know, when you were growing up your faith? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, um, you know as early as I can remember, I was, um, you know, um, in, in the church choir and I was going, you know, every day to church. And then at the age of nine, I went off to boarding school to this monastery and um, it took another level, you know, a mass five times a week, prayers three times a day, benediction twice a week, um, it, 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 consistent. And it really puts you into a play. very harsh environment, to be honest. It was in the North Yorkshire Moors. It was very <laughs> old. It could have been in the 19th century, you know, um, creaky old building. And <laughs> some people found, for some People, it was the hardest thing they've gone through. I mean, it was really hard on some children, but I found real solace in it. I absolutely enjoyed it. Oh, sorry, my children have just walked in the door. Girls, <laughs> please. Daddy, she's working. <laughs> I'm actually very fascinated with the, with the girls because I, in the beginning of the book, and this is what actually started to make me tear up, and you, when that explosion went off, one of the first things that you write in the book, and it says... Um, you know, you hear the voice of your daughter, Honor, the yeah. oldest one, saying, Daddy, you've got to get out of there. And that yeah. to me, because of, because I've done interviews about angels, to me that was the voice of an angel using some voice that you would recognize that would be totally, totally, you know, something that you would only think of as love. And that was the voice of an angel. And, and listen, I've done work on angels from the point of a physicist who believed, who understood about what angels were. So I totally believe that this was a voice of an angel coming to you in the form of your daughter's voice telling you to get out. I mean, no, I know, and I know, I know it wasn't. You know, it wasn't just her voice that I heard. I mean, I was, I was blacked out. The, the second bomb had landed and I had gotten a lot of facial injuries, shrapnel in my eye, a big piece of shrapnel in my throat. And... And I was blacked out, and not only did I hear her, but I saw her. Mm. She, she was in front of me. She came to me in this totally peaceful moment, totally quiet in my head. Out of the blackness, she just came towards me and just said in sort of the calmest voice, Daddy, you've got to get out of the car. And this moment of peace just suddenly was... I opened my eyes and everything came rushing back into me and I sort of knew something was happening. And But the change from the peace of when I saw her to mm. when I was kind of brought back and then I was this mad, had to scramble to get out of the car just before the third bomb then hit the car itself, I mean, was amazing. And I've spoken to a number of people about near-death experiences as well mm -hmm. and where they go when they are so badly injured at first. And many of them go to their family. And I think that family is very much religion. You know, um, she is an angel to me. My All my daughters are angels to me. And I think that she was sent to me that day. Um, you know, if you had to find, if God had to find one thing that was going to pull me back, that was going to remind me what we needed, what I had to fight for on this earth, this incredible thing to stay alive for, it was my family. That's what I needed. And as I sat there for outside, the third one hit the car, my leg was off, I was very badly injured, and I was there for 40 minutes till I was found. But I was thinking, I was never worried. I thought, how do I get home? How am I getting back? 
And I just remember saying, you know, please, Lord, you know, whatever has to happen, please help me return home, you know, help me get home. And uh, that was this when, when you're in moments like that yeah. and everything else is stripped away, you turn back to religion, you know, you turn back to prayer. Yeah. And as I was lying there, it was just, and it was very simple. I didn't recite any scriptures. I didn't, it was very simple, just right. prayer. Just, please, Lord, please, Lord, help me get home. Help me find a way to get home. And um, so that's why it was such an incredibly religious moment for me. And I felt that same way every single day since. When I was recovering, when I was trying to get out of Ukraine, where these difficult situations and the painful situations, I thought, please, Lord, help me get through this. And I know... If I get through this, I know that there is light on the other side. Whenever you go through darkness, there is going to be light on the other side. You just keep trying to find that light. You keep fighting for it and you will get there. And I did get there, you know, and uh, that's because I grabbed hold of the things that made the most to me. And that was religion and it was my family. And um, it pulled me through. Those things pulled me through. Um, For those people who haven't really heard the story of exactly what happened, explain to me like what happened that day um this is everybody knows about the russian invasion of ukraine russia invading a sovereign country this was the height of just um terrible kinds of things that 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 happened on the world stage um putin a bully marching to ukraine thinking he owns it um but explain what happened on march 14th 2022 just a little more than a year ago Yes, well, and this was at the beginning of the war. We were in Kiev, and the Russian forces were moving very quickly towards Kiev, which is the capital city. And we thought they were going to come in. You know, they had almost surrounded it, and um, we were bracing ourselves for a full Russian uh, assault. And we had been filming just around the outskirts of the capital city, filming the defenses. Mm-hmm. And we were in an abandoned village that had been totally bombed flat. Uh, we saw, incredibly, we saw a school, uh, rather a church, totally bombed flat except for the crucifix standing outside, which remained upright. Wow. And this was you know, beforehand. And I just remember looking around. And I did a piece to camera about it, too. I was looking around and I said, you know, here's the one thing still standing, you know, it's this crucifix. But we had filmed, we did our job, and we were making our way back in the car. There were five of us in the car altogether. And we came up at an abandoned checkpoint. And as we slowed down to go round it, the first bomb came out of the air. Um, mm. landed feet in front of us. We heard that, that that whistle, which I've heard many times before, but this one, so close, whistle overhead. How many feet How many feet was that, the first bomb in that front of us? That first one was about 30 feet in front of us. Wow. So quickly, we knew we were under attack, and we said, try to reverse the car, get out of here, reverse, reverse. And then a few seconds later, the second one landed right next to the car. Oh and that goodness. was the one that gave me all the facial injuries. Um, and then I saw my daughter, Honor, um, I was out for maybe a few seconds. I don't know how long it was. It couldn't have been long. Uh, and I opened, I dragged myself out of the car. And then a few seconds later, just as I was out of the car, the third one hit the car itself. That one threw me away and it knocked me out. And the next thing I wake up, I'm on fire. I'm all on, my whole body's on fire. My leg's gone. I'm rolling around. I'm trying to put the flames out. And I eventually did that. And um, Pierre, our cameraman, was also out as well. Uh, the others we know died in the car. But did, did Pierre, Pierre pull himself out or was he thrown yeah, from the so, car? Yeah, so, so no, Pierre had gotten out first. Mm-hmm. So he had just gotten out. And if he hadn't gotten out, I would not have gotten out. So he had already gotten out and the door of the 
car was open. Mm-hmm. So when I came to, I, the door was open and I just grabbed, moved my way out of the car. But Pierre was still alive at that point. And actually, you know, Pierre died alongside me. And he was trying to protect me there at the end. He was just saying, watch out, Russian drones. Don't move Russian drones. And um, there was no cell phone reception. So there was no way of telling anyone that we'd been hit. No one, no way of telling anyone where we were. And no one was out there. And so um, I waited for about half an hour. I moved around a little bit. But I was in and out, you know, uh, badly injured. Felt no pain at this point either. The adrenaline was kicking in. Yeah. And then finally, this one car, it was Ukrainian Special Forces, it drove past on the road. It was a little bit above us there at that point. Mm-hmm. And it didn't see me waving. And I was waving away at it, and it didn't see me. And I said, Pierre, Pierre, I've, I've got to go. And he, he said again, he said, it's the Russians, it's the Russians. Mm. And I said, Pierre, that's I said, I'm so badly injured, Pierre. I've got to be, someone's got to find me. And he had cut his femoral artery. He didn't look injured. It's one of the things I think about a lot, you know, I thought I was badly injured. I didn't realize he was and he bled out. But I pulled my way back up towards the road. And when the car amazingly got lost down the road, it turned around. It was coming back. And by that point, I was higher up and I grabbed a big handful of earth and dust. And I was throwing it up at the car and waving again. And and it saw me. And at that point, the Russian special forces jumped out. Uh, who I talk to most days now. He's a guy called... Uh, his so they were Russian Scott. special forces. Uh, sorry, sorry. U- Ukrainian. Oh, Ukrainian special forces. Okay. Yeah, no, no. No, no, yeah. Ukrainian special forces. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was the one that, that, that saved me that day, who pulled me into the car. And... Um, How did you not bleed out with having lost your leg? Yeah, um, no, I, well, I think some of the burns had helped to cauterize a lot of the leg too. So, um, oh, my goodness. I think, I mean, I, I, honestly, it was absolutely amazing. And um, when I got to this small little Ukrainian hospital. I don't remember getting to the hospital at all, but mm-hmm. they they said that they had minutes. They were about to cut off my other leg as well. And, oh, my uh, goodness. One doctor just said um, he'd been trained in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, let me have a look. Let me try. And he, he said the leg was cold at that point. And he, I don't know, he hooked up a couple of veins. He got the blood going again. And he felt the leg get warm again. Oh my and goodness! Saved my leg with you know seconds to spare, but when I woke up, I thought I was in Russia. Mm. Last Pierre had said it was a Russian car. I thought it was a Russian car, and so I wake up in this hospital, you know, dingy Cold War era hospital, and looked like that. And um, I assume I'm in Russia, and there's a, bit, a patient in a bed opposite me. This one guy comes in with my State Department card, and he's shouting at me, who are you? Who are you? Mm. So I'm assuming I'm in Russia. And then I think the guy opposite me, his bed sheets start to move, and I think he's holding a gun at me. You know, I'm kind of, I'm out, I'm half hallucinating as well at this point. (laughs) So I'm sitting (laughs) thinking, right, well, now I'm stuck and I'm a prisoner in Russia. Uh, And then I thought, so how am I going to escape from this one? (laughs) Um, And... um, and at that soon after, save our allies, this incredible group that, um, you know, that Fox called upon who have gone and helped many people escape from Afghanistan and other places. They had been asked to come and find me. And they at that point, that was where they found me in this second hospital. Um, I want to take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast because I want to talk about when we come back just the the things people had to do to get you out of there and the miracle of that involves. We'll be right back. 
Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back in Lighthouse Faith with Benjamin Hall, who is a Fox News correspondent um, who was severely injured in Ukraine a little more than a year ago, March 14th, 2022. And one of the things that... um, you know, that is so amazing is what happened to get him out of Ukraine to get the care, the medical care that he needed. And and, and it's a very sad situation, though, because you are the only survivor of five people, um, uh, Ben. And I just do you think why do you think that you survived, that you were allowed to survive? Well, and obviously, it's something which I think about a lot every single day. But I've, I've spoken to a lot of people about survivor's guilt, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how did I survive, the others don't. But I've, I've never felt that way. Mm. I've just felt that I was saved that day and I could, I could spend, you know, my whole life wondering about why. And I've decided very early on that I, it, it, there's, there's no benefit to thinking why, but mm-hmm. there is an understanding that I have to make the most of it. And yeah. I can't anything go to waste and that, you know, I have to go out from now and take every day like it is, a, you know, do the best I can, try and help as many people as I can, do as good as I can to try and say some kind of repay, you know, somehow say thank you to what, however I was saved and why I was saved that day isn't so matter, but I want to pay it back. I want to, to continue doing good. And so many people did such good for me that I want to give that back as well. So that's what I think about, not about what happened or why I was saved, but what I, what I can do because I was saved. Yeah. And, uh, and, and th- so that's how I have to think about it all. I think one of the things that people will learn when they read your book and which I learned because I only had, you know, cursory knowledge of it, but um, I have to commend the executives at Fox and the people in the Fox family from the CEO, Suzanne Scott Jake Wallace, uh, Pentagon correspondent Jennifer Griffin, they moved heaven and earth to, to get you out of there and to save you. Um, I just I had never realized what they had to do, um, the, the red tape yeah. that had to be cut. And they, Absolutely. they you know, go ahead and, and talk about that because, you know, it is an absolute miracle that all these pieces came together, that Jennifer and Suzanne and Jay and, and countless other people that, you know, people have never heard of that are working, to, even the people at the State Department, you know, they were yep. pounding them to get, no, we need to get, you know, our guy out of there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And well, you know, news started to leak out that there was an injured journalist and it made its way around some of the other small journalist groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, WhatsApp groups, and it was Jen Griffin who was the first at Fox to find out. Um, a, a colleague, another, another reporter mm-hmm. at the Pentagon, said to her, "Have you heard? You know, have you heard from Pierre and Benji?" And mm-hmm. um, that's when they started to look, realize that something was wrong. We hadn't checked in as we would usually check in, but that set in motion this incredible plan. And Jen Griffin, of course, um, can is the most remarkable woman who knows. You know, pe- people. Yeah, she really is every- everywhere, and she immediately was liaising with Suzanne Scott and with Jay, to saying, "Right, we don't know where he is, but we need to get a team in there right now." And um, 
Jen had spoken with uh, Sarah Verado, who set up this group, Save Our Allies, and she got her on the phone immediately, and she just said, do you have a team in or near Ukraine? And Save Our Allies is a nonprofit. They mm-hmm. were just helping people out there. They were going in and you know, helping civilians, trying to set up some first aid um, yeah. you know, help. And uh, she said, we do, actually. We've got some of the best guys there. And these guys are former, you know, some of the Green Berets, former intelligence, mm-hmm. so people who are experts at, um, and have all around the world, while they were with the, the government, gotten people out of really difficult situations. So this is what they were trained to do. And they just set off. They had two old ambulances that they were using for their own nonprofits, and they just headed straight on into Kiev. They didn't know where I was. They just had my... Um, well, they didn't know who was alive and who was dead, really, or whether you know, Pierre was alive or dead, if I was alive or dead. They knew one person had survived, but it wasn't clear who. Mm. So they put this in place, and these people just started driving straight in, basically towards the Russians again, because we were almost surrounded by Russians. So they were putting their yeah. own lives in danger, Absolutely. trying to find you. Absolutely. Uh, they weren't going to stop, and they all came in. And... Um, at the same time, Suzanne Scott, of course, was talking to my wife, Alicia. She mm-hmm. was the one that made that phone call, the very first phone call to say, look, something has happened. And um, she didn't know what at that point. And I remember my wife, Alicia, saying to her, well, what do we do? How is he? You know, what do we know? And she said, we, we don't know anything right now. She said, just pray, just pray. Yeah. yeah. Suzanne said to my wife. And so initially there was this incredible few hours where nobody knew who was alive, just that we were missing. There had been an attack. Um, this team was coming in to get us. And um, Jen was also talking to to Kirby. The, the, at the time, he was a Pentagon spokes, a spokesman. Yeah. Uh, but it's the State Department saying, look, can you help? And this, obviously, the State Department said, look, and the Pentagon said, we cannot have anyone in Ukraine. It is our policy not to send any soldiers or anyone at all into the country. But... If you can get him to Poland, then we will help and we will take care of him. And I got special permission from the defense secretary to go and be treated inside military medicine. So I went to Landstuhl in Germany and then, you know, I recovered for five months in San Antonio, Texas at the Brook Army Medical Center. But yeah. you know, those pieces were really important, too, because the injuries I had, it's called polytrauma. Um Sadly, the military knows them very well because this is what happens when you get blown up. Right. Limb lock burns, eye loss, um, you know, lots of limb loss and uh, all these, uh, a lot of the infections that you get from some of the, the, the blasts as well. And they have a couple of centers. Walter Reed does it. Uh, San Antonio uh, does it. They specialize in one place to building people up like I was like me, putting us together, making me walk again. And so I was very lucky that I was being able being was given permission to be treated in the military. This is very um, important to me, and I want to back up a little bit because people may not understand why the U.S. did not send any kind of military into Ukraine because they would actually be accused of almost trying to start a proxy war with uh, or a war with Russia. You know, if they actually went into Ukraine, if military personnel went into Ukraine, right? Yes, you know exactly. I mean, uh, they had been very clear that there would be. Uh, Biden had said it, you know, there there would be no U.S. military, no government uh, employees inside Ukraine. Um, they had already removed um, diplomats, uh, the embassy. And so that was the one thing they, they just didn't want to do. They didn't want to risk this escalating into what they said could easily become World War Three. So that was the, uh, the, you know, the real so policy. The, so the issue was basically 
trying to get you to the Polish border, you know, trying to the border with Poland, then they could get you out. But how harrowing was that just to get you to the Polish border? Well, it was one of the hardest, hardest parts for me because we didn't know how to get me out from Kiev. The doctors had done as much as they could, but they said I still, you know, needed life-saving operations that they couldn't do that. Um, Save our allies. Once they found me, they were looking at ways to get me out. They couldn't drive me because it would have been a 20, 30-hour car ride across bumpy roads. And I still had the big piece of shrapnel, about the size of a matchbox, right in the middle of my throat. Oh. And they, they couldn't risk driving me because they knew that that could easily cut one of the, the um, arteries that was next to it. Uh, they looked at low-flying planes that could come in and land in fields, but they thought that was, again, just too risky with, with the air defenses and the Russians. Um, so they, for a while, weren't sure how they could get me out. And out of nowhere, we we found out through intelligence that the Polish prime minister um, was on the first covert mission by leaders to visit Zelensky. Mm. His train, the prime minister's train, was in Kiev train station. And if we could make it to the train station before he left, then the Polish prime minister had given approval to evacuate me. And just to get that signed off on was incredible. It required the the, um, U.S. ambassador out of Poland. It required intelligence from a number of different countries, required us breaking the curfew through Kyiv, because we only had, you know, an hour or so to try and get there. But to do so, we had to go into the middle of the night in Kyiv, and we had to get through uh, the curfew. We had to get through all these Ukrainian checkpoints because they had said no one could leave because they were expecting the Russians to come in. And so we got into this ambulance, and I had no pain meds at this point. So the <sighs> pain is, uh, I mean, life changing. That you, the, you know, thinking back to it, it was something that, you know, no one ever needs to experience. Mm. But it was just grit it, know that we were going to try to find our way to safety and, and keep moving. And at all these checkpoints, the Ukrainians guns right up at us would pull us out they thought we were russians that we were breaking the curfew oh. everyone out of the car right at gunpoint and they would open up all my injuries and my wounds oh. they weren't sure i was even um really injured they thought it might be a ploy to come in and get Zelensky. so oh we had goodness. this incredible nighttime drive checkpoint to checkpoint you know gun barrel to gun barrel and we finally made it and we got through all of them and we got to the Polish prime minister's train with minutes to spare. And, um, you know, it wasn't couldn't carry me on normally. So they had to just hike me up in this bed sheet and um, kind of carry me on. And then it was a 10 hour ride, train ride to Poland. But those 10 hours when I was lying there was another moment where all I had were my thoughts and just thinking and trying to control the pain and try to hold it down and just keep thinking you've just got to stay here you've got to stay here you've got to survive to keep going and my mind was on hyperdrive i couldn't stop thinking about everything and anything small things big things it was hallucinations and it was uh, i thought about god in those periods and my family and i thought about yeah would have thought about things like the industrial complex of ukraine i mean everything bizarre <laughs> Um, you wrote in your book, that... you wrote in your book, that feeling was a result of having shrunk my world down to one single thing, my family. Says, then you say, I was surprised by how powerful the emotions were. It was as if, just like I found a higher level beyond my pain, I had now discovered a new and brilliant level of emotion that I hadn't, that hadn't been available to me before. Yeah. And I still feel that today. It's, it's, it's strange, but, uh, 
you know, I've loved my <laughs> all my family from the beginning, but I'd never felt this real sense of physical emotion and love. I mean, really one that, that you you feel all over your body that drives you on. And there were times when I didn't think I could handle the pain. And I would just tell myself, I would say, you've got to do this. You can do this. Put aside that pain and focus on getting out of here. And, you know, I was amazed that you could take some of that pain when you thought it couldn't get any worse mm -hmm. and you could put that away. You could bring that pain level down. You could choose to ignore it in your mind, to focus hard on something else. And it just reminded me of the power of the mind and how, you know, panic can just make make things like that so much worse. And if you can contain that panic and if you can keep your mind strong and on point and think about the thing that matters, you can get through almost anything. And I really believe that everyone has that strength in them. I believe that when you're going through something difficult, and it happened for the next six months, it still happens today when mm -hmm. I'm going through really difficult days. I stop and I think about it and I say, this is fine. You're fine. Everything's going to be fine. Get through this hard moment and it'll be light on the other side. And, and you know, I'm amazed I have taught myself how to do that. You know, um, theologians I talk to all the time, um, basically there are four questions that people need to answer in their lives, either explicitly or tacitly. One of them is, you know, origin, you know, where do I come from? And oh, there's destiny, where am I going? And the other two are, what's my purpose? What's my meaning in life? And, you know, how do I treat people while I'm here? And I want to focus on that one that says purpose in life. I have to imagine that you have a new defined purpose in your life. At least you understand that it's not just a small question anymore, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think about it a lot, and it is, it is about the the people who reached out to me, not just the people who came to save me, but the thousands of people who sent me notes. And no matter how small those were, we're thinking about you. We're praying for you. This morning's prayers were about you. We hope you have strength. The strength that those can give, the power that that unity can give, is immense. And I want to pass that on. I want to just keep telling everyone that together we can get through the hardest and hardest of things. And we need to remember that and learn that again as a society so often, that we can get through anything if we do it together. The divisions are so big right now, but if you go back to what's so important, we all share this one sense of what is important. It is family and you know uh, unity and being together. Um, that's what I want. That's what I'm trying to pass on. And I speak to people every day on social media. I mean, I get mm -hmm. hundreds of messages, you know, per week of people who are reaching out with their problems, health problems, mental problems, saying, look, I've read your book and it's given me so much strength today. And if there's one thing I want to do in life, it's maybe to keep doing that. And if I can help just one or two people now and then and talk to them and say, Look, tell me your problems. Let's talk about it together. Let's find a strength to get you through to the next level. Whatever you got to do, we'll talk about it. Then that's what I want to do um, is, is focus on that. What is in the future for you? I know you're still, you know, with Fox, obviously. Um, you're, you're still, you know, you're, you're a Fox correspondent but um, and contributor, I would guess, at this point. But what do you think the future holds for you? Well, I mean, look, I'm... <laughs> I get back to work as soon as possible. I was um, actually was back on air for the first time uh, about 10 days ago. 
uh, talking about Evan Gershkovitz, who the journalist has been arrested yeah. in Russia, yeah. American journalist. Yeah. But um, and then as happened two days later, I've had some medical conditions and now I'm can't walk for a few weeks. So, you know, what I've learned is that there, there will be windows moving forward where I can and I can't work. But for me, the plan is to I'll continue being on Fox as a correspondent, more as a contributor. But what I want to do, what we're working on is a series about uh, about the most incredible people, people who bring people together, mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. who are community leaders. And um, I want to tell the stories of these people around the US who some of the ones who saved me to start with, but also you look at any kind of news story and I want to see the heroes in, in you know, in, in towns and cities, the heroes who bring people together, because those are the people we need to really look up to and try to to emulate. Yeah. And so that's the series I want to work on. I've covered wars for 15 years. I've been at the front lines and I've watched horrible things happen to many people. And I, I'm not drawn back to that anymore. I'm drawn the other way. I want to tell the uplifting stories, the motivating stories about incredible people. And I hope that that can strengthen other people. So that's the direction I want to go in is a far more optimistic one, because despite all the horror that has happened to me and the loss of my friends, I remember the positive things here. I remember the people who came to help me, mm -hmm. the people who willed me on. And that's the message I want to to, to give back, you know, we live in an incredible world. I, I honestly think this world is so beautiful and powerful and wonderful. That's the message I want to convey now, not the horrors of the world and how bad it is and the, the tragedy of war, but the positives, the great things that we see every single day, but maybe take for granted. You know, the, the um, there's a wonderful scripture called the fruit of the spirit and it's love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. And one of the things that you know the theologian talked about in understanding the fruit of the spirit is that it's just really one fruit with all these attributes, and it's not fruits; it's fruit of the spirit. And so, to be loving and joyful and and happy and peaceful, all of these things are part of a of of a, of a whole. And it's it's incredibly important that they are together and not just. We can't just have patience if we don't have joy. You know, we can't have peacefulness if we, if we, if we don't have love. So I, I hear you saying these things, and that's exactly what, you know, that scripture is really trying to, 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 to convey, what you would like to do. We must find people who are bringing people together and not separating them and not driving divisions between people. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, so... I, yeah, think, I think I think that you know and how is your wife doing by the way and your children I know that it was a little scary for them when they first saw you um you know yeah. daddy looked I a little mean, different <laughs> Yes and you know again this is about family and I think about them more than myself because this hasn't just affected me I mean mm -hmm. I, you know I'm, I'm walking on prosthetic legs and I've had injuries but I this has changed their lives totally, the things we can do and can't do in the direction. And um, many people never think of the families and how they are affected. But we are all affected in this way. But I'm just blessed because I've got the most incredibly powerful, um, loving wife who from the second this happened just said, right, what do we do? Yeah, let's do it. Whatever we got to do, we'll do it. And, um, you know, I. I knew I married the right woman many years ago, <laughs> but I mean, I am even more, I mean, I am even more amazed.
when I see this. And, you know, you marry for in sickness or in health. And we've really put that to the test and uh, come through with flying colors. But wow. they're doing really well. And we are learning our new lives. And, you know, that's um, something we didn't have to expect to do. We had a very set idea beforehand of what our lives would look like and the direction we were going and career wise and where we were going to live. All that, all the things we worked for for years. Mm-hmm is out the window <laughs> and suddenly overnight we were given a totally new life of, of a tough life um, in some ways but we looked at it we grabbed it and we said right how do we make this work what are we going to do and that's what we've done the children i watch them all the time because i don't want um you i i, I don't my eldest asked me about the bomb and mm-hmm. uh, war every day and she asks wow. about the Indians every day so I'm aware of that. I don't want that to become too much of an issue for her. The youngest two, they were two and four when this happened. They're, no difference for them. Right, right. <laughs> they, don't remember me, they don't remember me with the legs. But the oldest one, <laughs> it is going to be something in her mind. And so I'm watching her closely. We talk about it openly. I've never tried to hide my injuries or anything like that because I felt we all had to go through this together. Right. Um, I mean, I hid my injuries at the beginning when I was very bloody and I decided not to have them visit me in hospital. But now at home, I let them obviously be around me when I'm doing things and they see everything we've got to do. So it's about being really open, talking about it all. Um, And uh, the most important thing for me now is just to watch them, to make sure they're okay. And, you know, I suppose the only time I apologize is when I sometimes say to my wife, you know, I'm I'm sorry that, you know, put all this onto our plate right now and i know it's not easy <laughs> she just tells me she, she, she just tells me to be quiet straight away and i'm being ridiculous there's no need to apologize to her but sometimes i do think you know do they've you, had to go through an awful lot do you have any anger towards vladimir putin i mean he started this mess um no i you know i i, I don't i um i think i'm quite lucky that i don't i think um we talk a lot about ptsd mm-hmm. um, with other people i don't have it i'm very blessed yeah. She said I had post-traumatic optimism uh, once, which, which is great. <laughs> but no, I haven't. I've never in my life have I been have I felt anger towards anyone. And I think that Putin is um, is evil. Yeah. He is the embodiment of evil. He is devil, Satan incarnate. You know, and he is killing people, and he needs to be done. I believe that. You know, I, I think yeah. he should be finished. But. I don't have anger inside me. And the soldiers who whoever fired the the missiles. Don't, I don't have anger towards them. No, I know what they did. I know what they've done. But and I know they need to be stopped. But it, it, it's. I've never been angry. Well, maybe your story will reach back to some of those Russian soldiers, and you know their lives will change because of it. I mean, there, many of them don't feel the war is justified anyway, um, and they're just doing following orders, you know, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, unfortunately. Um, I want to thank you um, so much, uh, Ben. I think we could talk forever about this. I know. And I'm just, just getting into getting into well, relaxing. I, I think, you know, the thing about it is, is that I think about it is, is that there's just there's just this whole idea that you've really gotten to the crux of what's really important in life, faith and family, that those yeah. two things are just are are just so powerful in our lives and so many times in um, we see in the news where faith and family are, are just sort of these sort of you know nice little accessories, but they they're not the center of our life. But and you've had this incredible vision 
an understanding that, no, this is front and center of our life. And this is what will make a difference. Yeah. Also, a real understanding that of work, of hard work. Like, I feel stronger than ever that for whatever we want to accomplish or achieve, whether that is something like passing on good or whether it's just career, that, you know, nothing comes easily. You've got to fight to get somewhere. You've got to work hard to do something and enjoy while you're doing it. But, you know, that's how I got better, because every single day we work at it. And, you know, we know what's important, faith and family. And even that, you work at it, you know, it's always something work at. And so that's also, I feel, is very important uh, to remember. I have to say, you know, when I saw you the first time um, a few weeks ago in Fox, in the Fox building here, and I I hadn't recognized you and I realized, oh my gosh, that's Benjamin Hall. And you had this incredible smile on your face. <laughs> Even though you were sitting there with a prosthetic leg um, the foot missing and some other things. And and yet here was this bright spirit, you know, showing yeah. that, that my life is so powerful, despite of what you might see, you know, and, I, and you've been such an inspiration. Yes, my wife would tell you that I'm annoyingly optimistic all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just think we live in a wonderful world. And, you know, there are incredible things that we've been blessed with. And... Um, you can spend your life worrying about them or you can spend your life embracing them. And, you know, and even if most of the day is has been really difficult, there's always something wonderful in it. And whether that's something small, like a beautiful ray of sunlight or a great piece of music or, you know, even small things, I just look for those. And the, it means that all the hard things are about getting back to what's important. Yeah. You know, so I overlook the hard things because i know there's goodness there there's faith and there's family like you you're saying that's where you end up if you fight hard and you work hard you always get back to faith and family and that's you, always there yeah and you you basically have you're a walking embodiment of the fact that life is valuable life is worth living no matter what yeah. happens to you you know yeah yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm very lucky. You know, there are lots of people who've been injured the same way I've been injured. And I've met many of them now, um, you know, former former military. And um, many people find it a lot harder. And so you asked me what I want to focus on, too. It's about talking to many of them, if I can, and just trying to help them get through some of the difficult moments. Because, look, look for example, you look at the number of suicides among, uh, yeah. you know, veterans. Um, yeah. I think that we all need to pay attention to helping those who have helped us, who have gone out of the way and risked their lives to to help and protect safety and freedom. And that's another thing that we need to keep thanking and looking for is the, the role that they've played, and making sure they're not forgotten, you know, when they are injured. So look, I've been really blessed because I've, you know, Fox family have come together and my medical care has been great. And um, I just want to make sure that everyone else feels the same kind of support and um, that I have felt, and you have, but and we talked about this before. But you have had this advantage of having an incredible religious training, up, up, upbringing. I mean, a lot of people do go to mass, but you have had this boarding school um, Catholic training of you know of, of religion of and, and and all of it. You talk about teaching you compassion and respect and forgiveness, um, and these are all qualities that we need but that it was so ingrained in you and do you think that's why you are quite optimistic because of this early religious training i, I mean I, I think it definitely plays a big role in it as well and look you know i i struggled with religion myself for a while and you know, i went through this i was at this 
boarding school and uh, was, it was very religious. And, you know, at times I even thought I might become a priest when I was much younger. Mm. And, and then I remember around university, and I think perhaps anyone in their early 20s might right. think this, I started to question it. I said, what, you know, is there a God? Is there a heaven? What are we doing here? And I didn't go to church for a while. And um, and I'm very pleased that all happened because, it, you know, over time I built it back again. And I've covered a lot of conflict in the Middle East. Uh, you know, I, I wrote a book on ISIS. I've spoken to a lot of ISIS members and victims. And uh, so like religion became a big part of my career as well. And I was right looking at that and other religions. And it took a while for me to do the full circle and come back again um, to my to my beliefs and my faith. Um, so, you know, like, but even religion sometimes, you know, you, you you have to think about it. It's something that you've really got to understand. The more you think about it, I think the more you can respect it and then the more you can embrace it. Um, so it's been, it will be a lifelong journey for me. I think it will always be changing. And, and I love that. Well, I guess you won't be a priest now, I guess, right? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't think so. But, well, you, you, could know, be an, wife... you could be an Episcopal priest, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. No, I'm, I'm, um, I'm happy just... I just love sitting in church, to be honest. Just mm-hmm, give me mm-hmm. some peace. Let me sit there and think, you know. I guess I feel something there that I don't feel anywhere else. There's just such peace and calm and nothing else matters. And it's another thing that reminds you that, you know, all the worries that people have in life just disappear when you walk in the door of a church and you can just sit there. It's quite defining. Yeah. It's quite defining. Yeah. I've spent quite a few hours last week at the Orthodox, uh, during Orthodox Holy Week um, in uh, in the Greek churches and hearing the Psalms chanted and and the uh, and the scriptures chanted. There is a calm that exists in a church that does not exist anywhere else. Um, although yeah. the entire created order is God's um, holy place, actually, um, just because God is present there as well. Yes. So, uh, I'm, I, again, I don't want to keep you forever, but I would I love, would love to talk to you forever. But um, the book is called Saved, A War Reporter's Mission to Make It Home. Benjamin Hall, Fox News correspondent, uh, contributor. I want to thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. This has just been an incredible opportunity and very inspirational. No, what, me, for me, too. I and mean, what a pleasure. I really love being on. And any other time, let me know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app, or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a very blessed day. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.